millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, ho, ho. And welcome to the Starting Line Podcast with me, Rich Lee, for this very, very special Christmas special? Christmas bonus episode? One of those two things, right? It's been a little bit of time since you've heard from me, so this will hopefully be a nice surprise as it drops into your podcast in tray. And I hope you are having a lovely, lovely December and excited about whatever festivities might lie ahead. Some of you will have hopefully seen my social media posts about our upcoming filmed video interview with the actor Brian Cox. It was incredible. The man has, I mean, he's been across 176 different projects we worked out, and we speak in depth about a ton of different things. That's going to be the first episode of Series 2 that will come out in the earlier months of 2024. It is yet to be sorted as to when that actually will go. I'm recording others in the new year, so stand by for those. So, today's episode. If you are offended by swear words and generally depraved themes being used in a comedic way by a musical comedian, a comedic musician, not quite sure which one of the two we do land on with him, but either way, as an entertainer, this guest, this week's guest, has been incredibly successful, so qualifies as a starting line guest up top for that reason. He has had four top 20 hits and got to number five in the Christmas charts with one of his songs a couple of short years ago. He is back on the campaign trail this year, but not for himself, for a band called The Crackpots, and he is hoping to help Proper Christmas get to the Christmas number one. I have a feeling that given we recorded this on the sad day when Shane McGowan died, there's there's probably going to be another number one this year, Uh, but let's try and get it up the charts nonetheless. So... This is a fascinating conversation, wide-ranging conversation with somebody that I've long admired and has got an incredibly different, quirky sense of humour. So if that is not for you, again, look, look in the description. I'll write um, I'll write a little bit more there. I just wanted to give you, in the intro up top, the chance to not listen if you don't want to. That's okay. This this episode doesn't have to be for you. But for those that do stick with it, honestly, it's the, it's the most I've laughed doing one of these uh, he is an incredibly, incredibly funny man, and it's just a pleasure to to spend the time that we did together. So, if you're still listening to this point, if you haven't turned it off by now, all that's left to say is, without further ado, I bring to you my conversation with Cunt, with a K, which makes it okay, alright? It's not the actual word, is it? <laughs> Enjoy. Mate, thank you very much for coming. We are in Stu Whiffin, a mutual friend's uh, studio, and it's pretty fucking cool. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? Yeah. Posh. It's, pretty, it's funny because outside it looks like a shithole. Yeah. <laughs> you, you yeah, it, yeah, it looks like the kind, kind of place you'd go to be chained up, mur- 
tortured and murdered. <laughs> I asked him what was in all the um, all the the units, and he's like, "Yeah, just bodies, just bodies yeah. left and right." It's, it's very reservoir dogs from the outside, isn't it? You can it imagine is. coming in and finding someone strapped to a chair with every ear missing. <laughs> there is a Christmas song coming out. Stu mentioned that you have something of a hand in helping to promote it. What is it? Who is it? When is it coming out? Well, um, in previous years, obviously, like we've done our own Christmas chart campaign. And, yeah, you've and done some really nice songs. What, what well, kind of songs have you done? Uh, well, we, we had one called, um, it all started off in 2020 with Boris Johnson is a fucking cunt. Uh, <laughs> How'd you come up with that? Well, <laughs> I thought it was fairly obvious, but lots of people hadn't realised <laughs> it at that time. Uh and that, that got to number five in the Christmas chart, sort of completely unexpected. What was around it? What kind of, what, what other songs it, were? Are we talking like Mariah Carey? Yeah, yeah. Mar- Mar- Mariah Carey's Christmas song, Wham's Christmas song. Um, I think Justin Bieber had one out that year. We beat Justin Bieber, Ed Sheeran, Liam Gallagher's new song. We'd we done better than all those, but I think, yeah, you, you, you're always up against it, you know, yeah. because they've all got big record labels and, you know, uh, PR budgets and what have you. And we do sort of, you know, an online campaign well, through Facebook and, uh, I and, mean, and all that. Radio 1 wouldn't even say the name of the song. Wouldn't, they, didn't even, they wouldn't name you, would they? No, they didn't name the band. They didn't name the song. They just said, and they and didn't, in at number five, a naughty song. Yeah, they, they wouldn't even say who the song was about. Yeah. And, and that's kind of carried on through subsequent years. The following year, we had one called Boris Johnson, who's still a fucking cunt. Again, genius. Well, <laughs> where, did, where did this moment of inspiration... <laughs> well, funnily, he still was. Funny enough, he still was, and he still is. I mean, you could just do that every year. Yeah. <laughs> what, just re- still keep releasing Still a fucking cunt again. <laughs> yeah, so that, that was 2021. In 2022, we did Fuck the Tories, um, and that got a number seven. And then here we are in 2023. And the, the trouble is the last few years have had quite a, got quite a negative message because, you know, things are largely fucked. And so this year we were going to do something a bit more positive. And then I came across this song by a band called The Crackpots with a K. Definitely uh, nothing to do with you, though. No, no, it's nothing, nothing, nothing to do with nothing, you. Nothing, no, no, it's, no, it's, it's, a com- not. it's a complete coincidence that our band begins with a K. But this band, The Crackpots, uh, I heard their song Proper Christmas, which is like a sort of love letter to the old Christmases of the late 70s, early 80s, uh, in the style of kind of Chaz and Dave, Slade yeah, yeah. and Madness. And uh, it's a nice, catchy, positive message. It's got a smashing video, like some little puppets. And I thought, that's the kind of message... I could get behind, and so here I am. Here getting, you are, helping to promote because get, I mean that they are puppets. So. I'm getting behind it. Well, yeah, that's the thing. They're they're puppets, but they're they're run by a mystery puppet master that no ah. one knows. A bit like Banksy or Kendo Nagasaki. <laughs> <laughs> Although Banksy named himself the other day, didn't he? Did you hear about that? No. Yeah, yeah. Banksy. Um, there was a, a video with with Banksy, and he went, "It's Robbie." So because I remember on Scrooby's Pips podcast with Goldie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. A few years ago when, when Goldie said, oh, yeah, I was with Rob, I mean, uh, Banksy. Yeah. And, you know, got Pip some, some nice coverage, I think, at the time. But, yeah, apparently there was, there was a video the other day, some documentary that they're doing about Banksy. And, and so, you know, will the crackpots be unveiled at some stage? I don't know. I can't speak for, I can't speak for them. <laughs> I'd, I'd imagine, I, I would imagine, you know, knowing people, yeah. if it's successful, then probably someone will come out and take all the credit for it. Yeah, do you reckon? Yeah, I'd, yeah. Ima- I'd imagine so. Who, who's, but all the money's going to the crackpots. Well, uh, yeah, I guess, I, I guess so. But what people don't realise is people, people think if you have a hit single, you're kind of like laying around it, on, a, on a lilo in a swimming pool getting wanked off by supermodels. <laughs> but, Hang on, that isn't the case. But no, it, like in the 80s, in the 80s it was. Downloads of 59p each. We always did them as cheaply as you yeah. can possibly do them because obviously it's better to sell lots. For the first one then, so um, in 2020, 
So yeah. that's actually fascinating. Is So you got to number five. And yeah. So what, what does that mean financially? So the first Boris Johnson song sold 45,000. 45, right. Was it 79p? So, you know, it's thousands of pounds. But by the time you put in, you know, you actually work out the amount of time you spend on something, it takes, it takes pretty much three months to record and promote a single and not not necessarily working full time, and then obviously like everyone has played on it and helped with the videos and, yeah, and stuff like gets that paid. gets paid. And so as the years have gone on, each single has sold a bit more, but you make less money off it because of, like I've, I've sort of remixes do the singles, and each of them kind of gets paid for their. That's what you do is because you create a load of versions of that song. Yeah. So that I guess it. You know, I mean, I, I remember again with that first one. Um, just a big Twitter campaign, and a load of my mates were like, "Hey, you know, listen to this, buy this," and then it, and then you just end up listening to three, four, five different versions of it to yeah. help, you know, to to help get it there. Yeah. So so it's each year the amount of versions we've done has grown because there's a sort of it's a bit of a loophole in the chart chart rules that you can have unlimited versions of a song and they count towards the same one. They, they all count towards the same one. So you know you can have twenty versions of a song. And if someone, you know, if a big fan goes and buys all 20, yeah. that counts as 20 sales. But like I say, you're up against all the, you know, the, the Christmas songs that are getting streamed on Christmas playlists, um, you know, which generate massive sales. And every 100 streams counts as one sale. But, you know, the, the Christmas songs get streamed in their is millions. Is that right? Every 100 streams is one sale? Yeah, on, on like a premium account. Yeah. So why... The song, like, why 2020? What made you bring bring that song out then? Because, obviously, we had Rage Against the Machine years ago yeah. and that, that whole campaign. Was it a protest song? Was it, you know, what? It, I mean, it, it was it was a protest song. I think, so, just before, because we, we got locked down in March 2020, I'd just put a sort of punk band together uh, called The Cunts with a K, rehearsed a set of songs, and we were just about to kind of sort out some gigs and then we got locked down. We had this album, and a, a late kind of addition to it was Boris Johnson is a fucking cunt, uh, which was recorded around the time of, of the sort of first lockdown. Later in the year, fast forward to kind of September, October, um, Ginger, who's the singer of the Wild Hearts, must have found our song online or someone had sent it to him, and he tweeted a link to the uh, Boris Johnson is a fucking cunt on Spotify and just put Christmas number one question mark above it. Right. And um, from that, just people started... So it wasn't even a purposeful thing from your side? No, no. It but, just... but I kind of I, I kind of think, you know, looking back at that and pretty much everything I've done, it's never really a purposeful thing. It's, it's stuff kind of happens by accident. But if you keep yourself, you know, if, if you keep your mind open and keep yourself in the game, yeah, yeah. then these things come along, you know. And so, yeah, that, that's how it all kind of kicked off. And then John Mortar, who did the Rage Against the Machine campaigns, he tweeted about it. And then uh, Charlie no Charlie Brooker tweeted, uh, tweeted a link to it. Yeah. And so... That, I mean, that'll help. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it did. That was kind of towards the end of October. You started to go, well, actually... You this, might have this, a chance. Yeah, this could be a thing. Yeah, yeah. I've done a couple of chart campaigns sort of back in the day, like 2010-11, and got um, got songs to like number 66 and number 63. What songs were they? The first one was a song called Use My Ass, I Was a Cunt. Right, um, okay. All about the compromises you have to make to be in the music <laughs> business. And then the second one was a song called Fuck Sticks. <laughs> but I had quite a, quite a sort of small fan base then and was playing, you know, playing pub gigs to sort of 100 and something people, yeah. but do, you know, doing sort of 40 or 50 um, gig tours. But then obviously, um, yeah, the fan base had grown by 
by 2020 and and so yeah we made a real real good go of it and also the the topic of the song and the timing um boris had said that we weren't going to get locked down again before christmas and then went back you know as we're finding out now no one knew what the fucking hell was going on nobody yeah but yeah he he you know, expressly said there was going to be no more lockdowns and then locked everyone down. And so I think people just went, you know what, fuck it, this is a way I can do something yeah, yeah. to but show... It, it does, it feels like you're doing something, doesn't it? It feels yeah. like, you know, if we can get this message out there. But I guess that speaks then to a, a problem in the in the wider media. You can't talk about it. They, they wouldn't name the song, as you say. They wouldn't name Cunt and Cunt in the Gang. Was It, it was a Cunt, so, or was it the Cunts? That, that was the Cunts. The Cunts, yeah. Um, sorry, man. I will keep doing it. (laughs) It's all right, mum. It's with a K. (laughs) Did you have any record labels come to you at any point and say, do you know what this show's promised? Let's let's chuck ourselves behind this as well. No. I I just think the kind of whole ethos of it is so outside of what the, you know, what the industry um, expects and and the rules they play by that it's just, it's always going to be a massive mismatch. Despite the fact the songs we've done the last few Christmases have all been really popular and have been increasingly hidden by the media because you know they they sort of, they sort of know that <laughs> it's gonna <laughs> yeah if if they don't if they don't report on it it'll be hard for people to find out about it. and so we you know we kind of bombard so our social media, on social with it. media yeah com- completely yeah it's all social media and it's all people bringing it so with the crackpots how many how many versions do you think uh, or do you know how many versions they're going to be doing I think the crackpots have done um, as far as I know. Uh, they're only doing three versions right. on all the mainstream platforms. And then I'm told on their band camp, what they've done is they've done a collection of um, people sending in their own Christmas stories that right. they've, they've set to a, a John Lewis style backing track of, of their okay. song. And um, so people can buy, go and buy those multiple versions from the Crackpots band camp and you can buy them cheaper there. And um, I think they're going to do, like, do a Spotify playlist as right. well of those versions. If anybody wants to go and buy it, when can they buy it and where from? It comes out on the 8th of December and all the details and the links will be at properchristmas.info. What, why didn't you want to do a, a Christmas song in the manner of the ones you've done in the last few years? Well, I just, I think, you know, you can only beat your head up against the wall so many times. <laughs> and, I don't, I, you know, I don't want to be someone that looks like they're profiteering off misery. You know, ultimately, all the money we've made from the last three Christmases have gone in to the next single to promote it, make the video, you know, and um, yeah. So this, you know, this idea is just, we're getting hundreds of thousands of pounds, yeah. you know, from it. It's just, you know, you sort of, if you do the maths last year, sold 50,000 at 59p, which, you know. As you say, once you paid everybody. It, and, once and, you've yeah, paid, yeah, all, yeah. paid all the remixes, made the, made the video and spent three months of your life working on it. Do you, you do know, a lot of the remixing? Do you do a lot of the production yourself? I, I do. Um, I, I do all the sort of you know, the, the production of the single version, and then um, yeah, just farm it out to uh, to mates and collaborators who are all sort of independent as well. Right, so right. it sort of spreads the love around a little bit. Now talking about the media, I guess um, throttling is possibly a good way of putting it. The, the potential reach of of your output you had another song it was uh, about the monarchy yeah uh, what, what, what can you remember so there's, there's been a couple but in 20 uh 22 uh, around the time of the platinum jubilee we recorded a song called prince andrew is a sweaty nonce and um 
it, it got you know it, it got a few uh, mentions in you know sort of online yeah. newspapers, but it was largely massively ignored. And again, the same when it it ended up getting to number twenty in the charts, <laughs> and it was the best-selling single of the Jubilee. It, it, <laughs> it outsold. Um, what was the big the, the big hit that that week was? Um, oh, Kate Bush running up that hill because it right. had just been on Stranger Things, yeah, and, it out, yeah. and it outsold that. And there was no reports of it in 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 the media once it was in the charts because I think. It's just so outside of what official culture yeah. allows to be part of the mainstream narrative. And it's, it, I think we have a way of talking about things in a very frank manner yeah. that the the newspapers don't... You know, when you sort of look at the way the newspapers and, and the news and, and, and the media talk about it's things... It's funny because, you know, they reported on, you know, Sweatgate or whatever the yeah. hell they called it. You know, like people were reporting on it. It's not like they weren't talking about... Andrew and where did he go? Was it Pizza Hut? Pizza Express in Woking. Because <laughs> we we did a we did a publicity stunt in in the week of release. Twenty or so of us all wore Prince Andrew masks and converged outside Pizza Express in Woking, and we all held up banners saying "Prince Andrew's a sweaty nonsense," sung <laughs> sung the song. And uh, that same day, we so we done that. We done the meet there. We called ourselves all singing the song, and then we went to Buckingham Palace and sung the song outside there, and. Um, got home, put them on TikTok, yeah. and the Woking one just went whoosh. And I thought, fucking hell, this is going to go viral. Uh, and it plateaued off at about 110,000. But that was like all sort of in a day. It really looked like it was going to go. But then the Buckingham Palace one just went, zoom. Yeah, within 24 hours, it had done 1.4 million, which is like, you know, completely unheard of for my videos. I've, my most popular videos before then, the, the Jimmy Savile one, amassed something like 650,000 views in 10 just, years, you know. I've just got the song in my head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did it start, because it didn't start out as Jimmy Savile, it was Rolf Harris, wasn't it? No, it, it was Jimmy Savile. It was Jimmy Savile. It was, we, we did a Rolf Harris did version, a Rolf Harris when, version. He, when, he, when he died recently, just yeah. jumped on the, uh, jumped on the Hearst bandwagon. <laughs> So, like, why this? So, what, what do you define yourself as? Like, what do you call yourself? Are you a, com- a comedic musician? Are you a musical com- comedian? What's the... Well, I always said I was a minor internet hit singer, which, because, you know, there's there's a, there's a ceiling of how many people are going to like it or, 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 or find it funny, you know. Yeah. Um, because it's sort of dark humour. Um, but I don't know. You can't just wear one... I think being a creative, you can't just wear one hat and make a living from it. You have yeah. to... You know, you have to have your fingers in lots of pies. So for these single campaigns, I'm a songwriter, I'm a producer, um, I'm an engineer, you know, record company, PR person, sleeve designer, publicist, radio plugger, singer, yeah. front, front person. So you have to wear all those hats to kind of make, make something work. So why, why go down this road with it? Because you're clearly very, I mean, I can say it for you, like very bright. You know, it comes across in, in even the, the, the songs. You know, a lot of people will think, oh, it's just puerile. But I mean, it, it is puerile. It is puerile. It, it, it is, it is puerile. It is, but, you know, it comes across. I mean, I love the uh, the, the music. I know it's been spoken about before, but, you know, the, the simplicity and the kind of the. the it sounds happy. It sounds like happy music when yeah. it comes on, doesn't it? <laughs> and then all of a sudden, it's sexy kids made Jimmy Savile do what he did. Did you ever think of going down a different path with music? I mean, you know, when, when sort of I was in my teens and early twenties, you know, would would write regular songs. Yeah. You know, but but I've always written them alongside alongside these songs. And you know, looking back, it was really obvious, really early, that these were the ones that people were attracted to. And the you know, yeah. you you kind of 
reacted against that for a little while, but it, these were always the ones that people gravitated towards. Like I, I'd a, I'd a, I was in a band with Stu, whose studio we were in, um, called Serious Problem, like when we were, I suppose we were in our late teens, um, and there was, you know, sort of was it 10, 12, 14 of us uh, right. just making a racket and, you know, singing really offensive songs. We had one called Take That Our Cunts. <laughs> um, and then from that, uh, I went into uh, a keyboard duo called Pubic Cube <laughs> and we'd just play like talent competitions and like little local pub gigs and people would either love it and, and get it or really hate it. But, you, you know, you'd always, you'd walk out at the end of the night and there'd be blokes pissed uh, staggering off into the night singing the songs. Right. <laughs> and I think that's because if you use those, when you do comedy music, you can kind of get away with using tunes that, you know, regular songwriters wouldn't be able to touch because they're too cheesy. You know, like the Shake and Vac advert. Yeah, yeah. It's just, just you can use these major chord melodies that just stick in people's minds, you know, without having to worry about the credibility of the music. Yeah. So when you were a kid, was that always, was musicals the thing that you wanted to do? Um, no, I'd, I'd, I'd never really knew what I wanted to do. And even, even when I came out of school, which went for a succession of sort of low-paid jobs, yeah. um, worked, in, worked in shops and... Just like retail stuff? Yeah, just, yeah, just like, yeah, menswear mainly. Yeah. But, you know, got, got sort of... Tur- I've, you'd always be under these kind of little despot managers, you know, you knew yeah. weren't as clever as you were. Yeah. But these, you know, just like little jumped up fuckwits, <laughs> you know, sort of running their store like a, the Luftwaffe or something. <laughs> and, uh, and so we'd, uh, you know, we'd just wind, wind them up. Uh, you know, me and I, I took hanging out with the Saturday boys because they had no, you know, they had no career prospects or or dedication to their job. And uh, you'd just do things to wind up the managers, you know, to, the, the shop meant everything to these people. <laughs> and so, I mean, it must have been, it, it must have been awful having us yeah, working yeah, there. It must have been right, really, yeah. yeah. But at, at the time, you're like, oh, these fucking people. So I, I did that for quite a few years after leaving school. And then uh, a guy who worked for the youth service, who we used to DJ um, at the youth club that Sue and I used to go to, yeah, a guy that worked for the youth service took me on there uh, part time, just working as like someone that made the posters and graphic design and you know and, and forms and stuff. And so that got me out as kind of full time working to working two days a week, and I'd spend the rest of the week either making music or going to gigs. And and then that that was that was the po- tipping point where my life was more about music than it was nineties. Yeah, that would have been like early nineties. Um, and I was still doing some. I, I would DJ like weddings and stuff at the weekend. It's awful Essex weddings, you know, <laughs> playing playing Wham and Gary Glitter when when he could still fill a dance floor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. At that point, was music paying? I mean, D- DJing was always just something where you'd earn a bit of extra cash to kind of make your money up, you know, that, and that meant you could buy gig tickets and records and stuff. Who were you, you going know. to see? Who, who were your favourite bands at the time? Um, we'd go and see um, all, all the sort of indie bands of the late 80s and early 90s. So, you know, go and see like the Inspiral Carpets, who I'd absolutely loved. I probably saw them like a dozen times. Um, there was another indie, uh, sort of poppy indie, because I've always liked the poppy end of indie. You know, I'm, I'm just a massive pop fan yeah. uh, and always have been. Um, and there was a, a band called Airhead, who were from Kent, who would, um, they were touring around at the time and they had a single that sort of nearly made the charts and we'd just go and see them in like Manchester and Leeds and sort of sleep in a pub car park. We went to see like 
you know, Suede and uh, Blur and, you know, and all those kind of bands yeah, yeah. and Pulp. And I guess they're the ones that I probably then became kind of aware of indie-wise. Yeah. Um, I guess, what, when would they have been? Like, 93, 94? Yeah, so was, I was, yeah. I was six or seven. But, yeah. You know, oh, right. You know, yeah. But, like, getting to, you know, that's the first the first time you start picking music up. I think at that point, uh, when, when was Cunt? It was so. It was sort of always a thing, you know. Since since we did serious problem, millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost fifty pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It was really always, always a thing, you know, and, and probably, probably before then as well, you know, but the first time I kind of used it as a vehicle for songs would have been a serious problem. So that would have been in like 1992. Right. And then Cunt and the Gang started as Cunt and the Gang in 2003. Right. And what was the first Cut the Gang song? Um, the first first ever one that would be you know that would be definitely Cut the Gang was "Use My Ass I Was a Cunt," <laughs> but then that was written probably um, sort of in the mid to late nineties when I was working for the council. I remember being sent off to um, do a tiling job at a youth service. I'd, I'd put some tiles around the sink, and right. I, 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 I don't fucking know. Um, but I remember just getting the idea for the song and, and just stopping what I was doing and went and got a sheet of green paper yeah. um, out of the, you know, the youth centre office and just wrote it from start to finish. And I'd not... I, I think we were kind of between... I think I'd stopped doing Pubic Cube at that point and was, you know, it had a... What, what, pubic Cube is like comedy songs too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah Pubic yeah. Cube was just like... I mean, it, it, it can't be serious. <laughs> you know, no. now, now we've got a ballad. It's a love song. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably stopped doing Pubic Cube at that point and was just in between doing anything. But then the idea just kind of came to us and it probably took, you know, three or, f- three or four years of not wanting to have to go back to, to doing it. But, uh, you know, it, yeah. it, call, it calls you. Is that what it was? Is it that you got bored with the nine to five? I mean, I, I got bored with the nine to five really, really quickly. Yeah. And so I, I was working for the youth service for like 14 years up until 2008 so there's no kind of like oh everything kind of overlapped I was I was working for the youth service two days a week I was DJing and then I started club DJing up in London uh, on Friday and Saturday nights um, playing like 80 stuff in a gay club so I was doing those two things and I was doing both of those things when Cunt and the gang started up. Did the youth service know what you're doing as Cunt? Um, when I when I started, I'd already been there like seven or eight years, and when I'd done the first gig, I let a couple of you know a couple of youth workers who I was friendly with yeah. know that I was doing this. I was doing this gig up in oh, it was the first London gig, so this would have been about two thousand and five, right. and they told everyone. And um, you know, obviously, there were some people that I, I would have much preferred didn't go there, <laughs> yeah. but quite a big group came up to support us, and I knew I had this song called "Maybe I'm a Nonce." <laughs> I've heard that one. <laughs> so that that was the song that became Prince and Prince Andrew right. is a sweaty okay, knock. So I sort, okay. of, I sort of reappropriated yeah. it because you know every, everything gets used again. Yeah. So I had this song. There's maybe no I'm such a, thing as a unique uh, idea and all that. No, exactly. So 
I'd had this song called Maybe I'm a Nonce, and I played it at the first couple of Essex gigs. <laughs> you and, work with kids. Um, <laughs> um, but I wasn't definitively saying that I was a nonce. Maybe you are. Maybe. But, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not. But Cheers for clarifying. Yeah. But, you know, uh, so I'd played this song at the first couple of Essex gigs, and it made people really angry. <laughs> and uh, I remember my, my mate Gels uh, saying that he'd heard two blokes at the bar going, maybe I'm a nonce, maybe I'm a nonce. That means he is a nonce. Oh, Did, yeah, is that something you enjoy, that kind of subversive, let's not get too academic about it, of course, but pressing people's buttons. Was that always something in you? Um, do you know what I... I would have I would have said no because I know it might sound strange, but I much prefer it when people are happy than when they're angry. But if someone's going to let something like that make them angry, then I'll just make it worse. Yeah. I'm perfect. I'm perfectly prepared to just keep go, keep going until they lose their rag. Yeah. Because I mean, I've, I've seen I've seen some people get really really fucking angry at the gigs. The, the worst song for it was I had this song called Wanking Over a Pornographic Polaroid of an Ex-Girlfriend Who Died. And the chorus was just basically me crying whilst <laughs> pretending, you know, whilst mas- masturbating this foam penis. And it just made people really angry. Why? I don't know. It's, it's, I, it's funny. And this is like, it's, it's an important point to talk about because comedies, like, do you think that, there's, that there, there are things you shouldn't joke about? Is, is there too far? I mean, like that, that when, you know, when people say, there's a line. Mm. There, there's, there's, there is a line, but it's not a line that's in one place all the time because, you know, you, you can't joke about something terrible the moment it's, it's happened. There's a point in time where it becomes acceptable to joke about it. Like, like the American comedian, was it, was it Gilbert Gottfried who made the joke about the Twin Towers sort of the week after at, at, at Roast? And it was a massive relief for people because no one felt like... So yeah. do you think that's what com- comedy can do? It can take a serious situation and, and not make light of it, but almost make it bring people together over that shared thing? I, I, I think so, but then I might just be saying it as an excuse for, for, my, <laughs> so you can... for, for my horrible back catalogue. But no, I, 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 do, I do think that there is, you know, it's a, it's a coping mechanism, you know, humour. And, and working for the youth service in the 90s, we... Um, we went and visited the concentration camp and done all these kind of, you know, done a seminar. You, you realise that even in the concentration camps, people were going through the bleakest, horriblest mm. fucking experience, you know, you know, in subhuman conditions. But some people still chose humour as their coping mechanism to get through it. And I think that, you know, in, in, in dark times, it is a way of just getting through it. Gallows humour, isn't it? That's, yeah. You know, it's, it's called that for a reason. And it, and it, I mean, I would sooner go down that road and, you know, find something to smile or laugh about than, you know, just bury your head in absolute upset, which if you look around, it's there. Yeah. You know, so it's, so I guess, you know, a lot of your topics do centre around, it's, it's, as you say, it's not like you're the sweaty nonce. It's not like you. <laughs> oh, maybe. <laughs> oh, Christ. <laughs> On that gig where your youth centre colleagues came to listen, uh, to, to watch you do that, like, how did they feel about it? What, what, what was said afterwards? Their, their reaction, people were largely sort of open-mouthed. <laughs> But because, it, you know, because the weight of the people in the room laughed at it, and so people look around and go, oh, right, oh, it's okay. It's such it's a okay. social thing, isn't it? It's yeah, not, yeah, it's okay. And, and I think a lot of the time, you know, when you kind of, when you see the, the you know, the sort of tabloid furore about something mm. that a comedian said in their set, it is because they've taken it out of context and put out. it into print and they've missed all the nuance and the kind of build-up to it, you know. And, and in that room... 
when you're when you're in a room full of people who are there for the purpose of kicking back, you know, having a good night and and just laughing about things, you can get away. Yeah, yeah. you can get away with with a lot more and. It's sort of fun, you know, as as a performer to try and take people on that journey where they're going to end up laughing at something that ordinarily in everyday life they'd probably be horrified by. I've got a thing, and, and I'm probably not the original, I'm definitely not the originator of this thought, but it's if you're the kind of person that is humorless enough to, to think, right, that person that's saying that thing over there, and it's not crossed any legal lines yet, but you know, shouldn't be saying that I want to shut them down, I want to take that platform away from them, that's going to come to visit you at some point. Yeah. You know, if you're the kind of person that says, right, well, you know, I dislike that thing, therefore it shouldn't be, something you do or say will also at some stage be, you know, will, will cross that line inevitably because the line, as you say, isn't in one place, both in, in terms of comedy, but also, you know, what's okay to say. I mean, you do a podcast called Acceptable in the 80s, yeah. right? Which is about what? I mean, actually, like, plug it. Tell us about that podcast. Yeah, so so that's a podcast that me and Stu, Stu do. And the idea was when we started off, it was going to be a kind of nice nostalgia (laughs) a nice nostalgia podcast where we'd sit and you know talk about bands and talk about tv and yeah because we we we, yeah we've always met up for a beer you know every few weeks or every month um and we just decided to do it whilst doing a podcast talking about um the things you know we we loved and remembered from the 80s so we sort of you know talk about music and films and and tv and and you know and just reflect back and, and remember some of the kind of stuff we got up to and then it very quickly descended into just talking about snooker players' pubes and <laughs> and speculating on, on the length of Billy Joel's cock. But that's, where, where did you land on that? Uh, well, you'd have trouble landing on it. It's oh, tiny. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. How do you know this? <laughs> uh, you can just tell by looking at him. <laughs> I, I have this. I have, I have this gift where I can it's look. Like, I can it's look like at gaydar, some, but uh, no, it's not a gaydar. It's not like a cockdar. <laughs> a cockdar. But, <laughs> but I have this gift where I I can meet someone, yeah. be it man or woman, and I will have a rough idea of what their genitals. Let's see now. <laughs> now you've forced. Uh, I'm trying not to look at you whilst. T- <laughs> I have a rough idea of the size and dimensions That's shape and and collection of pubic hair around their genitals <laughs> well i mean anybody that meets you from now on i want them to think of that i want them to look you yeah. in the eye and know that that's what you're doing similarly all your listeners i'd like they'd like them to look at that photo of you on on, <laughs> on apple Podcasts. yeah i mean he's a big bloke yeah 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 what, what's he making up for <laughs> <laughs> but um i looked yesterday you are also the author of a wonderful collection of books called Bumface Poo Hands. Uh, yeah, co, co, uh, co, co-author. co-author. The I think it might be the fourth one in it. Bumface Poo Hands and the Coronavirus Pandemic Lockdown was 155 in the Children's Books About the Government um, chart. Oh, really? So congratulations, Cunt. Wow, you really <laughs> you made know, it. Chart and left and right, mate. You Out of all the children's books about the government, yeah, we're at 155. <laughs> it's nice. Dizzy Heights. <laughs> I don't know where you go from here. You might as well give it up, mate. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the massive haul of money that that's going to bring in. <laughs> um, when did you write Bumface Poo Hands? Is it something you always wanted to do? Uh, where, did it, where did the idea come from? The, <laughs> I, d- I don't know. You know, just every every lazy celebrity writes a children's book, yeah, don't yeah. they? Uh, or, or get someone to write a children's book for them. Um, I, don't, I don't know. One of my sort of long-time collaborators, Mr. Gell's, uh, who's been a mate of mine and Stu since we were uh, teenagers. I was round his house one day because he plays guitar in the cunts and went round his house to, to, to do some cunts-related business. And uh, on his fridge, he just had a picture 
of this character who had a bum for face and these kind of like Mr. Whippy poo hands. <laughs> and I went, what the hell is that? And he went, that's bum face poo hands. <laughs> and so I said, well, what, what is it? He said, oh, I'll just, um, I'll do little drawings and put them in my daughter's lunchbox to make her laugh. And it just, you know, it's just really, really eye, really eye catching. And I, I said to him, have you ever thought of doing a children's book with it? And he said, well, no, not really. Like, I wouldn't know where to start. Yeah. And so, that's what we that's what we did. We just got our heads together and wrote a couple of the stories. The first one was called A Birthday Surprise, where all these little friends come around for a birthday party. I'm not saying what happens in the end, because it's a plot spoiler. Yeah, a, yeah, we, we don't want to spoil it. Yeah, no, yeah, a, yeah. A, a plop spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's just so, so silly. And that's you know, that's that's what I love about it. It's just, it's so daft, so kind of... Not subversive, because I mean, he's right in your face, isn't it? But, you know, yeah. just the, the the stains that he leaves everywhere. And, like yeah. it's, it's like the joke that it's... It's, it's like, it is a one-note joke. Oh, no, no, but no, I'll no. listen to it all day long. Like, you no, know. No, there's two jokes. He's got a bum for a face and he's got poo for hands. <laughs> But there are there are just two jokes. But then that was little that was little Britain, you know. Yeah, it's, you know, in the Fast Show, yeah. there's there's one joke for each of them characters. Yeah, yeah. But if if you kind of do the same joke again, <laughs> people sort of know what know what's coming. But if you're clever enough, you know, you can still sort of surprise them a little bit. You know, yeah. you know when. It, so we had a, 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 one of the books was called um, A Day in the Park. And the minute you see a big white fluffy dog <laughs> bounding towards him, you know exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> But you took something you didn't know how to do. You didn't know how to write a book, presumably, or you know, or publish a book before that. No. Or self-publish a book. But you took something, you took an idea and ran with it. Just a mate's drawing on his fridge went from that to creation. I think a lot of people, and certainly people that listen to this, will will be the kind of people that'll have a million ideas. It's it's what you do with them. It's it's in the execution, isn't it? And I think Yeah. It's is that something you kind of pride yourself on? Is that something you I, I think um I'm quite practical. I like to create something and and finish it because if i don't finish it i'll get this nagging feeling you you know it 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 hangs over me until that's finished and once i'm once i'm finished it often that's where i fall down in the kind of promotion of it because the joy i get is from the creating and completion of something don't they they say about a lot a lot of creatives it's it's the promotion that people struggle with so when you find somebody that's both good artistically and promotionally maybe they don't need people like me the PR type people that's when you're you're onto a winner I mean I'd argue that you're pretty good at promoting I've I've forced my I've forced myself to do it um but I mean it's two it's like two different parts of your brain the the Mm. kind of creative side and the promotion side and if I'm perfectly honest once it gets to the promotion side my creative brain has moved on to the next thing and I, I you know I always can't wait to get my teeth into the next next project and get the promotion bit out out the way but you know as I've discovered over the years if you don't promote something you just end up with 500 books keeping all the doors open around your mums so so you have to promote it but the the trouble is you sort of when you're um you know when you're doing everything yourself hawking hawking stuff around sometimes feels a bit like you're asking for a favor from people and that I don't like I don't it's, like that side of it. That's that's why it's nice to hand it over to a PR company because you know be, because you can go. This is brilliant. If I'm if I'm there on Facebook saying this is brilliant, I always feel like people are going. Well, you're going to fucking say that because you did it. A that and B, I think as, as supportive as people can be. And I've I felt I felt it with this. I felt it with a book I wrote, uh, various things. 
people get pissed off. People are like, oh man, he's talking about that thing again. And, yeah. and I've always had this mindset of, well, if I don't promote myself, nobody's going to. If I don't, you know, stick up for myself and have some form of self-belief in that thing. But you Yeah, know, I, I, I agree with that. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. even, even with the podcast, I had, I had a good friend say, oh, fucking hell, yeah, yeah, I know you've got a podcast. And it's like, I, I, I personally think it's about time straight white males in their 30s had podcasts I think you know <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're where are they yeah, where's the representation we're definitely a much maligned group aren't we <laughs> yeah we are you know it's it's funny how people especially people kind of you know one two degrees separated from you can get a bit like oh shut up mate well just mute me then yeah that's right yeah and it, that's that's you very know, true and, and also but but social media is a, a weird uh, construct because the people that kind of you know the people that know you in real life outside of social media, you have a different relationship to them, to the people, you know, that kind of follow you on social media. And so, you know, people that you see every day down the pub are going to get fed up with yeah. what you're putting on your social <laughs> media because because yeah, yeah. they, you know, yeah. they, they, they know that. And, and it's the same as, you know, I, I found myself on Facebook, like... Hating people's kids because they post <laughs> because they post pictures of them all the time. Yeah. You know, and you're like, I shouldn't be wanting to punch a seven year old in the face, but but that's my problem because I'm looking because yeah. I'm looking on there. You know, yeah. <laughs> where do we go from punching seven year olds? Kicking them. <laughs> Uh, were your family so when you were doing these songs as a teenager and you, you know pubic cube like were your family quite supportive of it like um, what, what do they think I think my mum's largely disappointed <laughs> yeah. and has been various variously and consistently over you know over the last 30 odd years since I left school right but you know I think she's kind of finally realized that I'm I'm not going to go and work for the civil service or get a proper job I did. I had an interview for the civil service, but I mean they can spot it a mile off if you're <laughs> if you're just going because you're going because you don't know what to do, right? You know, I mean that wasn't recently. That was in you know in, <laughs> yeah, a couple of years about, ago in about 1989. But um, yeah, but so my mum was largely disappointed uh, across those years, and then my dad was a, a self-employed builder, and uh, he would him and his friends would talk about some horrific things, which I think, you know, kind of led to my high tolerance level for, for all kinds of subjects. And and he was quite quite pleased and quite sort of... He in, quite liked it, didn't quite he? Quite into it, yeah. My sister, who recently passed away, um, would help us with all manner of things. She was a couple of years younger than me, and uh, she'd come and do the merch at gigs and, uh, and do the door and drive us about and come you know on, on the sort of jaunts up to Edinburgh she'd come and stay for the month and and do the you know, you know do the door for us and also um we started doing videos in sort of uh, when you know when YouTube first came about in 2005 and so she'd always be in the videos or behind the camera and just you know generally kind of up for helping out and having a bit of a laugh wearing various <laughs> unflattering outfits uh you know which she would roll her eyes and then just get on with it so that was lily and so lily was quite supportive of the cunts in oh, general she, yeah in, she, she she was a you she, know she, she, was, she, was, she a was a cunt in a lot of ways yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but she uh no she um, i mean yeah she she made lots of friends at the gigs where she's a lot more sociable than i am i'm just not a very sociable person but for but for the gigs you know i kind of make it i make an effort because I like, I like meeting people and I like chatting to people, but I struggle with the idea, you know, the idea yeah. of being in group, big groups of people. But my sister was a completely different animal. You know, she was very, very sociable. Well, mate, I saw, obviously I, I saw you and Stu, you know, mentioning it. And then I read the replies and um, it was just an outpouring of love. 
yeah. for her, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Such an incredible... Uh, are you reading all of that? Are you seeing it all? I've, so, I've sort of dipped, dipped in and out, it but be, it's yeah. still quite it's raw. Very, so, yeah. This is last week we're talking, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, yeah, I didn't uh, want to do this podcast. Yeah, I can't f- believe you made me. I, <laughs> <laughs> no, I appreciate it, man. But um, it's, it's a massive outpouring of love. I mean, she was just very so, very sociable and very likeable, and, uh, you know, and... She'd come away from a gig with like five people's phone numbers, and I'd be like, "Oh fucking hell, uh, not, not them!" <laughs> so I saw somebody say that she was a large reason for "Use My Asshole" um, happening <laughs> as a cunt. Obviously, yeah, we were uh, we were living together um, in. I guess this would be yeah, this would probably be like mid nineties, and uh, we had a, a couple of mates that would come round, and we'd just spend every night in playing Nintendo sixty four, just spend every night in kind of smoking and just saying outrageous things to try and outdo everyone else. And um, that was where the wanking over a pornographic Polaroid song came from. I had, I had this wanking and crying mime that I would do <laughs> to, to appall, appall my sister. She hated it. And so, you know, because I knew she hated it, I would just continue to... <laughs> <laughs> okay, you can't see that, but it's wonderful. It's everything you think it is. And so in, in return, she... She one night just came out with the phrase, throw me up against the wall and use my arsehole as a cunt. Which Jesus obviously, Christ, no, Lily. Yeah, <laughs> com- coming from your sister, uh, yeah. Was, yeah, it was a jaw-dropping moment. And then, you know, as, as that phrase kind of filtered in, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I equated it with being made to do things that you didn't really want to do to be, uh, be able to kind of get to, an, you know, get to the next rung of the ladder. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's, how, that's where the song came from. Well, there you go. I mean, it's a hell of a legacy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure my mum would be very proud <laughs> listening to this. Does your mum listen to your stuff? No. No? No. What song do you have that you would not want your mum to listen to? Paperboy. What's Paperboy? It's a song about uh, being attracted <laughs> to your newspaper delivery person. Right. Because... Because... It, they remind you of a crush from school, is that right? Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I won't ruin the end, but um, and I won't ruin the song, but go go and have a look. I think one of the first songs that um, that brought me to you was A Lonely Wank in a Travel Lodge. Oh, right, which is, yeah. which is, you know, relatable, right? Well, this, there was another one that I'd used the phrase for a while. Right. And um, it, was, it was up in up in Edinburgh. I was speaking to, a, speaking to another comedian and mentioned that phrase, and she said, you should write a song with that title. And, I guess, you know, suddenly you're like... Of course I should. It's that thing with comedians, musicians, you know, when you're constantly on the road or, or travelling around, I guess, you know, what have you got? Are you going to talk about planes or are you going to talk about hotels and, you know, yeah. all that stuff? So I guess I can see how it came about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I just rem- remember. Uh, it's so catchy as well. Again, every, t- every time we've mentioned a song in this, I've then got it played in my head. I'm like, shut up, Rich. Oh, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, take, I'll take great pride in that. No, I bet you. It's, it's wonderful. But I like it being there, so it's okay. There's another... I don't, I don't just want to constantly dance around, I guess, the things you've done, but you've done so many things that there's, there's so much to talk about. You had a recent Kickstarter campaign, or recent-ish Kickstarter campaign, yeah. um, for Shannon Matthews, the musical, the movie. Yeah. And, I mean, it went bonkers, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, it went really, went really, really well. So I'd, I'd written this um, musical about the kidnapping of Shannon Matthews, <laughs> the, the Yorkshire girl, Shannon Matthews. Um, I wrote it in 2010, which was like shortly, because I think it happened in 2008. Right. And it was one of those things, I'd never written a musical before, but I started to get ideas about songs that Karen Matthews would sing. <laughs> um, and... 
So there, there was a band I played with in Edinburgh called uh, Arse to Mouth, and they had a song called um, Billy Ain't Dead, He's in My Shed. And um, the minute the Shannon Matthews thing happened, I just started thinking, Shannon ain't dead, she's under my bed. And it was one of those things that once you start thinking about it, you know deep in your heart of hearts that you're going to end up having to do it because it just eats away at you. And, and I was just like, the amount of time and effort that you'd have to put into writing a musical about the Shannon Matthews kid, or indeed any musical, you know, it, it's a lot of it's a lot of yeah. work because it's a kind of long-form project. How long is it? An hour and a half, is it? It's um, The CD coming at an hour and 15, and then the film is an hour and a half. So It's a lot of work, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of work. Did so, you do it by yourself? Yeah, apart from that original song that I kind of reappropriated yeah. from that, that band song, everything else I kind of done. Yeah. But, there, you know, there was a lot of um, newspaper information mm-hmm. on... Uh, Karen Matthews and, and Craig Meehan and, and the family set up around Shannon Matthews and the more you read about it because you know there were lots of lurid tabloid headlines the more you actually read into it the more I kind of started to think well she's like a classic sitcom character you know like Basil Fawlty there's something weirdly it's very British isn't it yeah do you know what I mean the whole yeah. thing is you know it, it felt and I watched that program as well with um, Sheridan Smith you know watched that what took you from oh I can imagine Karen Matthews singing can't work won't work to uh, you know, well, that, to, it, to where you got to. It, it was just, it was just that I, I kind of got, I got three or four song yeah. ideas, which was yeah, um, can't work, won't work. There was one called Different Dads, uh, <laughs> because it, it was you know in in all the <laughs> in all the um, in all the write ups that she had uh, seven children by five different fathers. Yeah, you know, which is uh, fine. But it kind of just said a lot about the disfun- you know, the dysfunctional, chaotic mm. life that she life that she'd led, and I didn't want this at any point to be sort of punch punching down on on, on people because that's what I guess some people said, isn't it? In you know some of the newspaper articles and you know the MPs, that of course, want to just get bloody some space in the in the news. There, there was an aspect of oh, this isn't okay. And then what's your response to that? It is largely just telling the same story that the BBC told on the Moore side, but just with some songs. To, for a bit of levity <laughs> and you know and, and I definitely don't think it's any worse than the constant tabloid reporting of where she is now with her pedo husband you know and um, they just every, every few months they just tell, they, you know they, they'll say Karen Matthews has been found living in the south of England married to a pedo and then they just repeat all the other stuff you know from the case I'm not one of these people and I'm not a comedian for a start but you know the, the whole you know, oh, everybody's getting cancelled. You can't, you know, you can't joke about anything. But, but it does feel like your your musical, for instance, was maligned in a way that it didn't feel fair. Didn't feel you know, nobody's watched it yet. Yeah, at, I, the, at the time, right? I, Nobody'd even seen it yet. I found that with um, so last year um, they went to they went to the Edinburgh Fringe. A company took it to the Edinburgh Fringe and put it on there, and two of the reviews hadn't even seen it. You know, they. They talked about it. Made up their mind already. Yeah, yeah. They, 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 clearly, they clearly made up their mind without yeah. actually seeing it, you know. I do think with comedy, the first consideration should be, is it funny? Is it funny? And then, then you worry about everything else. And I think as long as it isn't horrible and hateful, and I think as long as it's kind of accountable for what it's saying, which I think I am and I think it is, 
then I don't really see what the problem is because if you don't like it, just fucking turn it off. It's something else. It's there's a, it's there's a, a lot going on. There's a lot to listen to. There's a lot yeah. of content out there. What you're joking about, what you're saying is this is a ridiculous situation. I mean, wasn't he allergic to something silly or like wasn't, you know, there, there are these silly kind of aspects around, you know, around, oh, around the whole show. I, I mean, there's, there, there's loads, loads and loads of ridiculous things that happened. So the, her partner, Craig Meehan, took an overdose uh, that was what it was, uh, yeah. But but he just basically drank a bottle of cowpole. <laughs> the more you the more you read into it, the more you realise there's there's loads of things like that, you know. And and um, so Karen sees Shannon on the TV, you know, in a news report, and she goes, "Look, Craig, Shannon's famous." And he goes, "She's not famous. She's missing," you know. And and it's just, it's lots of things like that that actually happened in real life. And you're like, this is so bizarre and unusual, like. It's got to be parodied, you know, and yeah, uh, yeah. And, that, and that's the re- that's the reason behind it. Because for me, you're able to turn Karen Matthews into, you know, like like Rigsby, like Basil Fawlty, like David Brent, one of these awful, self-centered, delusional, quintessentially English characters who is unintentionally hilarious because they're so self-centered and horrible, you know. And there's, there is comedy in that. And, and whether people think that's all right or not, it's, it's up to them. Whether, it's up to them whether they watch it or, or Every, not. Everybody's got a different line, right? Yeah, that's, that's that's the thing. I mean, it got six hundred plus people backed the movie version on, yeah. on Kickstarter, um, so that's twenty six grand. Yeah, to, to, to make to make the to whole make film, the yeah. whole thing. How's that coming along? Yeah, it's all it's all filmed, mostly edited, and then so there's a guy called Mike Fordham who. Uh, has helped me with my videos since I first started, sort of back in the early 2000s. He made the video for Use My Arsehole. When, when, we, when we first, he just came along to a gig one night and said, um, you know, can, can I come and film your next gig? And we got talking because he had a little Sony tape handicam at the time. And so he came along and him and Lily filmed um, the video for Use My Arsehole as a cunt and Mike edited it all together. And then from there, he's done like nearly all of the other videos with us and has just kind of learned on the job and grown his gear and been, you know, doing other things. On Is that the what side. he does then mainly? Not so, yeah, yeah. He's, he's a video maker. And so I guess the, the beauty of it is you were prevented from showing it in, in, a, in a few places in Edinburgh, weren't you? There were, there were a couple of places that oh, wouldn't, wouldn't yeah, let you, you know, wouldn't, yeah, wouldn't yeah. let you they, play it there. They, 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 um, they got a venue uh, and it, it was all signed and sealed. You know, they all signed the contracts and then the venue came back and said, actually, no, we, we, this is not the kind of thing we want on. But they'd already, they, they knew of my history. Yeah. But I, I think it must have, you know, the, the, the backers or the advertisers must have just seen it and just gone, no, we don't want to be associated with it. So the beauty of it being a movie um, means yeah. that it's, easily watchable right you know it can get out there in a much more yeah um you know simplified way yeah. I, I guess was that the was that the reason for doing it for creating the movie not just because shannon matthews the musical the movie sounds funny yeah <laughs> <laughs> no, i mean that yeah you just keep add, just keep, keep, adding, just keep going, and right? then it'll be shannon matthews the musical the movie the musical because we'll have to do a musical <laughs> of the movie nice but um no I, I, I guess the reason behind doing a film was at first i just recorded the CD because there was no other opportunity to kind of get it put on anywhere. Mm. And then the opportunity arose to have it on at the Edinburgh Fringe. And then there was such a good company of actors and, and people involved in the production of that, that it seemed like the right time to just go, do you know what, these people... Is it they, all the same people then? Yeah, yeah it's, it's yeah. everyone that was in the um, 
in in the Edinburgh show because they knew they you know half the battle is if you're making an independent film, getting people to learn their lines, you know, and having everyone who's available. And you had a, a company of people that were all loved it, had, had a great time up in Edinburgh, spending a, spending a month in each other's company and didn't kill each other. How many people are in that company? Um, seven or eight. It's, it's got, because it's, it's quite a small cast. You've got Karen Craig, Michael Donovan, uh, D.I. Ragit, the uh, old school copper, and PC World uh, are the kind of... <laughs> Are the, are the five, you know, sort of main, uh, main players. And then uh, there, there was a couple of girls that kind of played various roles and did backstage stuff as well. Shannon? Is Shannon in it? No, see, this was, this, this was the thing from the start. Well, you know, Shannon's not in it. She's missing. She's missing, right? Yeah, missing. I wasn't sure she cropped up at the end in a, in no, a song No, no, she, she um, it, in, the, in, the CD, uh, in the CD version... I played the part of Shannon, so I thought, you know, if, if I, I have to give other people the parts, so I'm going to have the title role. Yeah. Um, so, and, and you just kind of hear a whimper as she's taking out the bed base. Right. Um, you've got a song as well called Fred and Rose. Now, we were talking yeah. before I came, um, I'm from Gloucester, and most people, if they know anything of Gloucester, know two things, and it's Cheese Rolling and, um, and Fred and Rose. Yeah. Who was, that, who was singing on that? Was it you doing both voices? So that was me. It, it was a duet, um, and uh, I, I got a hand puppet called Little Cunt. Right, and now, so that was a duet between me and Little Cunt. Now, li- <laughs> 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 I mean, it's, it's it's a lovely song. It's a very touching song. Yeah, um, it's kind of you say so, but everyone's turned off by now anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> After the crackpots, hopefully, gets to number one. I hope so. Those guys really feel like they're going places. They, they are going. Pl- they've tried really hard, as it seems, and uh, you're doing a great thing by getting out there and promoting on their behalf. What happens, like, what are you going to be doing after that? Have you got another album? Like, what, what are you um, working on right now? So it's quite all-encompassing uh, mm. doing a Christmas campaign, as the crackpots have found out. So, yeah. you know, I've, I've, that's why I've, I've kind of thrown my hat in their ring uh, to help them out. Very nice. But um, yeah, once, once Christmas is out of the way, um, I've, got to, um, I've got to do all the music for the Shannon Matthews, the musical, the movie. That comes out at the end of... April. The movie comes out at the end of April. Yeah, we've got the premieres at the end of April. Nice. Where are you at, doing it? At the Prince Charles Cinema in London. Oh, yeah. I've got uh, the second Cunts album um, to finish off because we've got loads of kind of bits and di- sort of disparate singles. But I've realised they're all they're all the same tempo. Um, right. Because I've been writing I've been writing different versions of the same song for the last two years. And uh, I've got nearly 10 songs that are all the same tempo and the same kind of uh, glam rock beat. Right. And so I'm thinking about making the album a kind of mega mix style, you know, that kind of from one, one song goes into the other. Nice. Um, and they're all songs about, you know, being dissatisfied with the way things are run in this country. Oh, OK, um, so, so it's quite political again. I mean, it, I, I it's guess... just kind of collecting, collecting the royal family songs and the government songs mm-hmm. and, because ultimately I think they're all part of the same problem you know that money gets funneled up from the people that need it to the people that don't and that's going to be the overarching theme of the album but I'm going to try and keep it fun and I, and I think you can I mean you, you already have done with your political things like are you, do you think you, are you quite political outside of music I, I don't I don't think I ever was really and then just kind of from so when I did the use my ass I was a cunt campaign back in 2010 just after Nick Clegg had formed the coalition government yes. with the Conservatives. And one of the versions of Use My Arsehole as a company called the Nick Clegg story, <laughs> uh, you know, because obviously he was someone that had given up all his, you know, beliefs and, uh, you know, or, or comp- sorry, comp- compromised, compromised his, yeah. his beliefs in order to kind of be part of the power 
game. Mm. Um, and uh, I think that just kind of awoke something in me and I started looking around more and spotting injustices, which, you know, I think I've been fairly oblivious to up and up until then. And then when the pandemic kind of happened, you know, it, it sort of seemed like it was one rule for the people in charge and one rule for everyone else. And, and then when you realise, you know, it, it feels like quite a natural progression from looking at the way, you know, the, the people in power behaved in the pandemic to, where, you know, if you, if you go up London and visit Buckingham Palace, you'll see all these people in uniforms with gold and silver helmets holding guns and sat on horses unable, to, you know, and they're not allowed to move. And they're all just there to protect this family that are living in great big fucking palaces, you know, got millions of pounds and are just, you know, they're all right. While they're people right. are using food banks and, uh, and you know, and, and, uh, and there's a cost of living crisis so people can't afford to heat their homes and feed their kids. And there's this family living in palaces all surrounded by, you know, guardsmen. And you start to go, hold on a minute, how, how have we ended up in this situation? And I think it was kind of uh, on Jubilee week when they were ferrying the Queen's crown around in a chauffeur-driven, custom-made Rolls-Royce, you know, this crown with all gold and jewels. And you're like, fucking hell. You know, and, uh, and, like, and you go down Asda and there's people shoplifting because they can't afford to feed their kids. How have we got in a situation where that's okay? And once you start thinking like that, it's kind of it's hard to leave it alone. And I, I know, like, my music over the last couple of years has become a bit more serious. And I want to go back to wanking, crying, and celebrity pedos. <laughs> but I just need to do this. Get next, this out. Do, do yeah, this yeah. next cunts out. It's called um, the album's called. It's all a load of bollocks, and they're all just cunts. Um, <laughs> and I think once I've done that, I'll be able to just go right. That's everything I've got to say yeah. on the well, subject. I mean, it's quite Sex Pistols, isn't it? When you think about that, like you know, was it Never Mind the Bollocks? Yeah, was it, yeah, yeah. So, was it, I mean, was it are they an inspiration? Yeah, complete, completely. Yeah, I, I mean, the the thing that's been quite um, quite an eye opener for me is what the Sex Pistols done. You know, forty five years ago, is still seen as unusual and kind of you know anarchic and. All the institutions that they were complaining still about exactly the same. Are, are still exactly the same, you know, and I include the BBC in that, about the BBC support the royal family and uphold, uphold the government and the system and order, you know, and they're all part of the same problem for me. And when Donald Trump talks about fake news, like, I know he's an odious individual and, uh, you know, and he's largely responsible for lies uh, and, and misinformation, but... There is a fake news media because they give you a veneer of respectability and they have a way of talking about things that keeps you from talking about things truthfully and what's actually going on. And this, through the pandemic, I would go out walking every day and I'd walk past the news agents and you'd see the front pages of, you know, of the Mail, the Express and the Sun and to a lesser extent the Mirror. But they don't tell you the news what they're doing is they're telling you what they want you to think and big swathes of the country get all their views from what they're told to think by you know these rags that are run by billionaire owners whose interests are all tied up with a conservative government and and making money and funneling money up to them and their main main interest is to keep the status quo as it is because once people realize what a load of bollocks it is there'd be a 
you know, there'd be an uprising. Have you got any songs in there about the media? Not, uh, not at the moment, but I've kind of, you know, sort of touched, on, touched, on, touched yeah. on them, yeah. I guess you've been on the other side of it, though. You've been on the side where something is genuinely capturing the imagination of the public in you know, your Christmas hits, and yet they still won't talk about it because it doesn't suit the purpose. It doesn't fulfil a role in... Yeah. in um, it, instead, it, it goes to Lad Baby, who isn't doing a song this year, is, no. is he? No, I don't think so. But but the thing is, I, I mean, I, I can I can understand why he did last year's one because you know he had four Christmas number ones. Yeah, and, you know, going, and, 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 he, and five makes the yeah. five five, yeah. Be, five beats the Beatles, and also it keeps keeps the griff going. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, it it was all the, the wheels were coming off last year. They sold half last year that they right. did the year before, so that's why they're not doing it this year. Uh, I see, I see. Um, was it all for charity? Is that what it was? Um, well. They would tell you that you know, and he, yeah. he said in his in several online videos, it's all for charity. Yeah. But it, apparently, it was all the profits go to charity, right. and they never told you what the costs were. With Band Aid, you know, which I think kind of set a precedent. Everyone worked for nothing, mm. and all the proceeds went to charity. But um, Lab Baby's an ind- uh, an industry, mm. you know, and. For me, the fact that he wasn't a millionaire when he started making charity records and became a millionaire off the back of making charity records and flogging sausage roll theme merch, <laughs> there's something fundamentally yeah. a bit Captain Tom's daughter-ish. Without, you know, without saying there's definitely something dodgy going on, it all feels a little bit like if someone had a closer look, they might find something. They might not. Yeah, it's worth having a look at. Just, just, a, just have, have a look. <laughs> Serious crime squad. If you just, <laughs> if you're scratching around for something to do over Christmas, just have a little just, look. Uh, that's that's why they're not doing it. So next album is next year. Yeah. Um, what you, do you think it will come out in 2024? That that will come out in 2024. Yeah. Yeah. So the movie and then that. Yeah. So I mean, keeping you busy. Yeah. Um, but I mean, there's always there's always something to something to do. I'm not someone that scratches around for ideas. Yeah. I've got a million, million ideas and a big list of stuff that goes on for the next two or three years. A lot of which I'll just never get around to do, yeah, you yeah. know. But that's the frust- the frustration of ne- not getting it done is what drives me to carry on doing it. Do you feel it's a it's a personal question, but do you feel financially comfortable in in relation to to doing this? Because there'll be people that listen to this that think I love the idea of going out and doing my own thing and really being my own, you know, creative boss and and. You know, executing ideas and making what they can, having fingers in lots of pies, as you've said. At what point does that become something that pays well enough for you to go, okay, right, the wolf, away from the door, you know, I'm doing all right? I mean, I, I always worked, you know, uh, uh, so I, I worked in, you know, worked in Lakeside and was still making music at the time. And then, um, then worked my two days for the council and DJ'd and then started doing cunt and the gang and so the council become the worst thing that I was doing yeah. but I still didn't have a financial tipping point where I was earning enough money to to, to jack it in yeah. until sort of 2008 and then there was a tipping point where I'd, I I was earning enough money from DJing and gigging with cunt and the gang to bin off the council so I binned off the council and then DJing became the worst thing I was doing. And I would, you know, I would clock watch so badly when I was DJing. Like, you know, I'd, I'd think, right, I'm going to play 10 records and not look at my watch. <laughs> Which is it's awful because people who imagine Loads DJs... Of people have, love that, don't they? People yeah, yeah, yeah. imagine DJs have a really good time, but yeah. no, not me. Right. Because it'd be... Uh, but I think I've become sport by, like, you know, the gigs 
I was doing was so fantastic that DJing just felt like a real bind. But I look back now really fondly on it, you know, and you know, and uh, and was really privileged to play these uh, these big clubs. But yeah, it, it was at the time it was the worst thing that I was doing. So I was trying to organise enough gigs so that I could bin off the DJing, and eventually there was a tipping point with that, and I had enough gigs that I could bin off the DJing. And the thing is, around that time, you'd be able to gig. Um, and at the gigs you'd sell CDs and T-shirts and, and that would be another source of income, you know, and, and the CDs sold reasonably well online, you know, I sort of had a little online shop, but now physical merch is, you know, but you still sell T-shirts at the gig, but CDs, DVDs, all those kind of avenues are closed off and you have to use the music as like a loss leader for, for you know, for selling for selling merch and, and gig tickets. So the whole industry of it has changed but you know I've, I've had times where it hasn't been going so well and I've just I've, I've gone back um, I've, I've got a mate who's who, who's a plumber and done tiling for him just to right. kind of how recently was that uh, just before the, just before the pandemic right. but during the pandemic I, I was doing sort of online shows on YouTube and because yeah. uh, I'd just written my book um, the year previous and so I was I reading, cunt I cunt um, is that is that on is that iClaudius? Yeah, is that a play yeah, on that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a play. It's a sort of play on that and you know iTunes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I was doing this on doing an online show, reading bits from that every night, and then I set up a Patreon, and so people started supporting us. You Just know, that digital content creator ability to to earn from from things like this, right? You know, it's, yeah. I think it's wonderful because it puts the power in your hands a little bit I, until I, Patreon say he says what? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, uh, you know. Patreon has definitely got us through mm. the last, you know, the, the last few years of, of just knowing that there's. I mean, I've got millions of patrons. I've got about you know 120, but it just keeps it just keeps things ticking over. Knowing that every month, you know, that's that that money's going to come in, and it means that you know you're going to be able to pay your pay your bills. And right now, what am I going to do with my time? Yeah, you yeah. know, that's what it becomes. Financial security to me is the second that you're like. Bills aren't a concern this month, and hopefully even next month, and maybe even the next. You know, and and the more that you can extend that runway, it just gives you such creative freedom. Yeah, and that's I guess the best place for a creative person like yourself to be is not worrying about the bloody gas and electric. Yeah, not worrying about that bill over there. So as I said, for some people, they'll probably see it and feel like it's out of out of reach for them. But you're saying it's not. It's it's something you can absolutely do. You just gotta. Yeah. Bloody, I, I love your. That was the the worst thing I was doing. So that that gets binned off until yeah. you don't have the worst thing anymore. Until you just creatively. There'll free, always right? be a worst thing. What's the oh. worst thing? What's the worst thing now? This, this. sitting here with you. <laughs> no, 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 yeah. no. I mean, no. Do, do you know what? I don't. I, I guess at the I guess at the moment the worst. The you know the worst thing is the admin yeah, and, yeah. and the the admin side of uh, of things. Mm. But um, you know, it's just a necessary evil. If you're going to do anything, you have to dot the i's and cross the t's. Makes sense. Yeah. But you know, I think a lot a lot of it is is persistence. You know, you've got to be so persistent and uh, and keep believing in yourself. And you get you get knockbacks, but it's how you how you just sort of dust yourself down and, and carry on. And if you really believe in something, you've just got you've just got to carry on and uh, and carry on and carry on. The Pet Shop Boys didn't have any hit singles till they were in their thirties. Ian Jury didn't have singles till he was in his thirties. And uh, Jarvis Cocker didn't have hit singles till he. Till he was in his thirties, and all those people could have just packed it in and been journalists, or, or you know, whatever yeah. it was they they wanted to do. I feel like you could have a career as a motivational speaker. Come, that's, that's, that's inspiring. I just need to use the word <laughs> nonce a bit less. 
Back doors will open up. One final question I want to end on. Have you ever worried about yourself? Because obviously some of the things you do say do upset people. Have you ever been, you know, you're a big bloke, but, you know, have you, have you ever worried that somebody about will... About your personal, about your personal, personal safety, safety, yeah. Yeah. You have? Yeah. I've, I mean, I've been been assaulted on stage a few times. Assaulted like somebody's hit you? Or? Yeah, yeah. Like, really? Yeah, thrown, thrown, well, thrown a punch. And yeah. I'd had other times when, like, ladies had sort of attacked me on stage. It was the way, it's the wanking and crying song. It just <laughs> makes people really, it makes people really angry. Sorry about that song. But, um... But yeah, no, I, I do, I do worry about you know your, your personal safety and and to be honest, like when, when you kind of go out and do gigs and meet people, it's always in in the back of your mind. You know, you're always looking for where that where your next assailant is <laughs> is going to come from because once it's happened a couple of times, it's it's hard not to. And it's quite you know, I think in a lot of ways that did kind of spoil gigging for me. Um, that like the last couple of years, I went out on my own um, gigging um, in 2015 and 2016. You kind of sort of worrying a little bit about your personal safety, but I, but I guess it, it's horrible because it stops you interacting with people. Like you know, because what what I used to do was I would turn up at gigs, I would be there from the minute I got there for sound check, I'd be just available for selfies and chatting with people and signing signing things and having photographs. Um, and um, when you're worried about your personal safety, it puts the feeling of dread ab- yeah. about doing that, which is a shame because it means lots of people lose out because of just one one lone wolf. I mean, somebody attacked you with a water gun, but it wasn't water in it, was it? It was his piss. It was his acrid piss. Fucking piss. <laughs> Why? What did he say? Um, it was... Uh, so I did a tribute to the song Amy Winehouse... And about six months later, this guy must have been an Amy Winehouse fan and he was still stewing about it. And he turned up to one of my gigs and um, pulled out this water pistol and just started spraying it and saying, it's my piss, it's my piss, it's my acrid piss. Acrid as well. Oh, what? Then, <laughs> have, you seen, have you seen that guy, the, um, the guy, the, the succulent Chinese meal? Have you seen that video? No. Nah. Oh, I'll show it you after. It's fucking hilarious. It's, it's that sort of, why reach for that word? Yeah. You know, why, why reach for the word succulent? He's been arrested at the yeah. time. He's like, oh, a meal? A succulent oh, oh, yeah, Chinese yeah, meal? Yeah, said, Get your that, hand yeah. off my penis. That yeah, guy. I've seen that, yeah. It's like, why acrid? But anyway, so he sprayed you and he shouted that it was his piss. Yeah. And, and, and he, he oh, it, it, mental. It, it held up a, a newspaper saying right. insult to my Amy, which was about a fashion show where right. they apparently dressed up as Amy Amy Winehouse. So he was obviously like cheesed off about the Amy Winehouse tribute song. Well, I, I thought it was quite nice, but I think he thought it was in bad taste. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I, I just I, I just got the red red mist and clumped him clumped him one. Mate, I feel like that's entirely entirely no, it, yeah, valid, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I feel what, that's, what it, copper in the world's going to arrest a man? It's just not. <laughs> so yeah, what copper in the world's going to arrest a man? Soaked him, yeah, <laughs> soaked in acrid piss. Yeah, um, but yeah, and uh, yeah, so that that was that, and he, he sort of ran out the venue and then posted about it on his Facebook. Oh, did. you know? So it was all for that then. It was all for because yeah. that's like, I guess a lot of these people. It's it's there is an, an aspect of attention to it. It's like that was me. I did that. Yeah. Christ, are you going to be go back to gigging after the album? Yeah, yeah, I'll, de- I'll definitely go and do some gigs next year. So you know, if you want to come and assault me at one, <laughs> <laughs> there'll be twenty or so opportunities up and down the country. I'm just going to get a, a great big burly fucking minder. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so or uh, just take a water gun. 
Just take, just take, yeah. get, get a massive super circle and just piss in it beforehand. And, oh, no, I, 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 I'll go one better. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, Crackbots, people can download it from anywhere they listen to music. Where yeah. can they buy it from? It um, was... if, if you go to properchristmas.info, there'll yep. be links to all the downloads. It'll be available on Amazon, iTunes, and all your normal um, platforms. Oh, and cool. uh, there'll be a, a Spotify playlist and stuff with links. At, um, You'll find it there. We'll, we'll put links info. to it as well. Nah, not at all. Cunt. Thank you very much, man. That was, <laughs> that was eye-opening. <laughs> it, was, it was a journey. Thank you very much. Buddy. Oh, thanks, man. Nice one. Cheers, man. Nice one. And we're back in the room. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed it. It was, I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. I thoroughly enjoyed myself during that, as you can no doubt tell, because my muttly laugh constantly throughout. Uh, I think it was probably quite the pain to, to edit that. But um, Gunt's had this incredible fan base for years, and it only continues to grow as he achieves more and more success. And fingers crossed for the crackpots, who are definitely, definitely, despite the K in crackpots, definitely not cunt. Thank you so, so much for listening. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for being supportive. Thank you for all the kind things. 2023 for me will always go down as the year that I finally made the leap into doing this. And I cannot wait to see where it takes me and us. And I just hope your 2023 has been good. I hope it ends in a beautiful way. And sorry, that sounds really morbid. I mean, I hope you have a lovely Christmas, basically. Uh, (laughs) And that you have a great new year. I'll be back. I'll be back. Uh, in February, March, with the first episode again, that's Brian Cox, the actor. Very, very excited for you to, to listen to that one and or watch it. And also the other incredible guests we've got lined up. I should probably get myself into better shape, shouldn't I? You know, if we're going to be filming. Uh, God, I'll have to lay off the mince pies and whiskey. Anyway, have a good one. Merry Christmas to all that do celebrate. Um, you know, happy festive season. I don't know. I forget the right things to say at this point, but have a great one. I'm looking forward to being back in 2024 and let's see what we can do with this thing. Eh? Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.